All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is NST and Things with your host, Casey Smith. All right, let's get into it. Uh, after a, uh, a bit of a brief hiatus, I have uh, decided to bring the podcast back. I have uh, or will share with you a bit of uh, some of the changes that have occurred and in, uh, in my life and um, hope you enjoy some of the new things with the podcast. We're trying some uh, some video content as well as the audio and uh, hopefully in the future we'll be able to uh, present some infographics and things like that um, to help kind of walk people through some of these case studies. You know, the purpose of this podcast, if you are new to NST and things, is to really just try to bring education about neurosomatic therapy, uh, try to educate the public on its benefits, um, how the body functions, um, how the body is governed, and what we can do to influence the body in kind of positive ways. So uh, just kind of jumping right into it, uh, probably I want to say my last recording was uh, somewhere in the end of um, or middle of 21 maybe. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, we were blessed with uh, two little boys on um, September 10th of 2001. And life has changed a lot. Um, anticipating the birth of our boys, we went into kind of heavy prep mode. And um, for us, we had uh, wanted to have a home birth like we did for our daughter. And with the just inherent risk with having twins, we had to opt out of that. Um, so with that being said, we really had to get on a good page, uh, my wife and I, on uh, how the hospital birth was going to go. Um, for us, it's not our first choice. For some, it is. That's totally fine. Um, and, you know, going into that, we tried to arm ourselves, in a sense, with as much knowledge and, uh, you know, good practitioners around us sort of a thing. So we hired an outside doula and things like that um, for the birth, which thankfully she was there. Uh, she was definitely needed um, and greatly appreciated that she was. But, uh, yeah, so we're going to touch a little bit on... Uh, kind of what changed with uh, me and what it, uh, what it, you know, having two more children introduced to our family um, very unexpectedly. You know, one would be one thing, but to have two is quite another. Um, so we're going to go through a little bit about, you know, what just kind of changed with me and, you know, maybe how I've developed a little bit as a father, uh, as a man. Um, we're also going to get into some prenatal stuff, some postnatal stuff, um, basically get into, uh, you know, pregnancies, uh, things you can do to help women, uh, that are pregnant, uh, things that I've done to patients of mine, um, some case studies and things like that. I also have, uh, developed a good relationship with our doula, um, some other, uh, uh, specialists and stuff in town. And it's great to see, or to learn more from them and then to try to, in a sense, overlap the neurosomatic therapy knowledge on top of what they're seeing um, and how the body's changing and what's occurring and how we can really try to help mothers stay in a much better position uh, throughout their pregnancy and then have the most optimal birth they can possibly have. And then after the fact, uh, follow up with the child. Um, one thing that I really wasn't aware of until the birth of our twins was uh, you know, we had a vaginal birth, obviously our daughter at home, and then the boys were vaginal as well, but they were in a hospital. So different position, they weren't, you know, in a tub, that sort of a thing. 
but there was two of them. There's excess pressure there. And then, of course, comparing our own situation to that of patients of mine that have had C-sections, had traumatic pregnancies and things like that, and looking at children after the fact. And some of the things that we would like to be you know, addressed in, say, the APGAR protocol, for example, when they're checking the vitals of the child, some of these things could be resolved early on or at least be addressed um, sooner rather than later by a neurosomatic uh, specialist, that if you can address these problems, these problems aren't going to perpetuate onto the future and potentially you know, maybe cause a pelvic inequity, uh, put your child in a position where they are going to have, you know, a lot of cranial asymmetries, lead them to having dental issues or um, migraine headaches. There's a variety of different patterns. And I'll share a little bit about, you know, what we've kind of noticed with the boys too, doing some therapy with them after they were born. And uh, of course, what we did for mama too. So let's jump into it. Um, I will say uh, when we had first, pardon me, when we had first discovered uh, we were having twins, I describe it uh, to many of my patients like uh, I do when I get treated sometimes. You know, I started cackling like the Joker. I had this um, <laughs> this just obnoxious uh, kind of laugh, and my wife still comments on it to this day. And she was like, I just, she was like, you were making the weirdest noises. But it was um, <laughs> much like I uh, would deal with extreme amounts of pain getting treated. I mentally really couldn't wrap my head around like, oh my gosh, like, you know, we went from having this sweet little girl to, hey, overnight, you've got, you know, two more children uh, and not just children, but young men, young boys um, that will grow up to be men. And it really started making me question um, myself. Obviously, uh, every parent tends to go into a period of nesting, you know, when those children are uh, on the way, they're in the womb. And I found myself doing something very similar. Uh, you know, we, we definitely had that nesting phase with our daughter, but I think in, uh, a fatherhood, you know, I always describe to, uh, to new mothers or mothers to be that dad doesn't really, and this is a personal experience and other people can chime in on this if they'd like to, but dad doesn't really get, you know, to feel baby early on, you know, if we touch your belly, that sort of thing we do. But for the most part, um, dad is this kind of, uh, outside individual observing these changes. And, and what I noticed with fathers and I'll, you know, say this for myself too, is as the pregnancy actually went on, I noticed myself falling more into a, uh, uh, I'll say proactive, but I guess if it's later in the pregnancy, not so much proactive, but I felt a greater sense of urgency because I could feel or see the physical changes occurring in her. And then, Basically, it's because um, we're not living with baby and feeling baby every day. It's almost like we recognize the significance of the situation as the mother's growing and the baby's getting bigger. And then, of course, boom, when baby arrives. Um, so for me, having gone through that with our daughter, I knew that, you know, I had changed some things with our daughter. Um, I had went through... Um, uh, whether it be financial stuff, uh, home repairs, uh, getting things the way that, you know, my wife would like them or I would like them to make our life more convenient after the child has come. Um, we kind of started doing all that. And in and, and this sense, you know, we had just bought our house when our daughter, uh, the year uh, before our daughter was born. So with this, you know, the house situation was kind of settled, but I did find myself in my practice, uh, I will say, you know, things had grown really well. Uh, things were doing good. And I don't want to say that I was in a bad situation. I just knew I wasn't in the best situation to provide, oh, not just financially, but mentally, emotionally for my family in the capacity I wanted to. Uh, and I say that just because, you know, a lot of people try to be clever nowadays and they try to circumvent the system or they try to, um, 
you know, leverage certain things to try to either make money or, um, I mean, try to be clever and just, you know, they're putting themselves in a position where it's not conducive for the results that they want. And there was a heavy, heavy sense of like, I needed to get order of things. And, you know, I love the saying, um, uh, from Jordan Peterson, he talks about in his book, kind of cleaning your room, the, the concept of cleaning your room. And if you can begin to, to cater to your room and your needs and what you have going on, that eventually you can actually bear the burden of supporting others. And I really think that was for me, I was reconciling that in my mind of, you know, it's easy or I felt easy um, that, you know, as a young entrepreneur, young business owner, I had enough going on and it was fine. And then my daughter came into the picture and it was more just adapting to life and the changes of having a child and, the, and putting their needs before your own. But I really didn't feel this strong sense of urgency of like I needed to make some some great life changes. Um, and with the boys, I just felt, um, I don't want to say this impending doom sense, but definitely a feeling of like, Hey, you need to get things in order because not only do you want to lead a good example for your children, but you don't want to have unnecessary stress, anxiety, things like that coming into your life based off previous decisions you've made or things you've let kind of carry into the future. And for me, it was just, um, it was a real eye opening experience of like, okay, we can do better. We can live better. What can we do? What kind of changes can we make to help align ourselves to uh, these boys coming home and having a healthy pregnancy? And uh, for me, that really led us down a path of, you know, getting new vehicles, um, not overspending on vehicles, not getting something because it's the latest and greatest and you feel like you deserve it. Um, I will say that um, we probably or I will say that I encountered some knowledge that I guess I was aware of to some extent, but again, we all like to feel clever and like we're doing the right things. And for me, uh, I'll say, I guess the simplest way is, you know, debt to income sort of a thing is a, is a big factor. And COVID was a big, uh, wake up call for me, uh, in the sense of, you know, you need to have that foundation that's built to last. And thankfully for me, I did, but that foundation didn't expand the way that I wanted it to. And what I mean by that is, you know, I had, you know, client base and stuff like that. That's great. But I wasn't leading my family because I didn't feel this extreme sense of pressure from my family yet. But as your family grows, you feel this greater urgency of I need to straighten things out. I need to get things right. And really, that's what I focused on a lot was just trying to, to clean up my room um, to get things in order. But also let's reduce liability. Let's reduce burdens on ourselves so that this, you know, say outside factor from left field comes in you're not so overwhelmed and anxious that you're just imploding when you get home sort of a thing, or you can't think straight. And not to say that stress isn't part of your everyday, it's going to be, but to put yourself unnecessarily um, into a position that could have been resolved. And usually it's, you know, we're trying to be clever. We're trying to maybe be greedy in a sense, um, all those things. And obviously I'm speaking more to financials in this, but I think it's, um, this is great to talk to young men. I find a lot of young men, uh, even around my age and things like that. These aren't conversations that people are willing to have. And usually somebody's trying to convince you that there's a, you know, a better way or you can, you can make money and do this. Nobody's really talking about peace of mind. And the one thing I knew that I had to have when trying to do it, all this was some peace of mind because you can't bring and steward your family the way that you want and bring all these extra things about without things actually working well. The machine needs to be well oiled. And I really just felt like, 
I spent, you know, every bit of six to nine months trying to getting that stuff squared away. And I definitely felt this sense of, you know, kind of God just telling me like, Hey, this is a back end loaded situation. And with our boys, it definitely was. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, my wife had certain, she's great at growing babies. I mean, she went full term just to give you a little background. She went full term with two boy, twin boys. Uh, they were born, um, seven pounds, three ounces each. She did have, uh, some excessive bleeding, uh, at the end, which thankfully we were at the hospital because that could have turned into something very tragic. Um, and just the, oh, the enormity of the situation, you know, what you're kind of going into is just, um, it's a lot into, for me, I definitely had that feeling of in the, the operating room, cause with twins, uh, you have to be, um, or you have to give birth in the operating room in case there's a situation where a child is breech, uh, which we did have a breach, a breach specialist, or the child has to be cut out via C-section. Uh, you are in the room. They can prep you. They can do it. There is no transferring. So when we were in that operating room, I it kind of in the moment was reflecting on, you know, that previous almost year leading up to that point. And it seemed relatively easy as far as baby concerns, mom concerns were, but I knew I was doing a lot of back-end work in the background. And you know, when the boy showed up, it was all hands on deck and it was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I mean, I can't, it's, I, I reduce it sometimes when I, when I talk to people, but it really is, uh, so much for you to try to wrap your head around and try to handle. And there's, you know, two more children to your family, plus another one that was obviously still in need of, of, of attention and all that sort of stuff. And it's a lot. So I can't really fathom having all of this extra stuff going on in the background that wasn't getting addressed while simultaneously segueing into this kind of big change in life. Um, so really, that was one, you know, uh, and I'll even say maybe before the boys, because we had found out uh, what well, we kind of knew in early January of that year was um, I had to, you know, take things, uh, a break from things like this. And I had to drastically change my work schedule. Uh, there was a period in time where I saw eight patients a week, um, or uh, eight patients a day, five days a week, sometimes six. And I went from upwards of, you know, 40, 42 patients a week to drop down. I was maybe seeing, you know, six, five to six a day, uh, which isn't uncommon for most therapists, but it was a, a big decrease in what I was doing. And my schedule is always having to be reshuffled. I was cutting time off the end, time off the beginning, just to manage the care for the boys, helping my wife out, keeping her supported, uh, working with family members, kind of making sure resources were there and, you know, kind of things kept moving, but it was all hands on deck. And there was, I really realized, you know, the work I thought I did, uh, in cleaning up my room, uh, you kind of realize that when that burden of having a larger family or more individuals, you know, resting on you, looking at you. Uh, needing that stability and support, it's really hard to juggle all this other stuff unless you've kind of built that foundation. And I realized even, you know, with the effort I'd put in, things were still lacking. So things like this got cut out of my life, um, really out of just uh, survival. You know, you don't have margin in life to do things that you enjoy or maybe, you know, are creative when you're constantly up against the wall and it's just nitty gritty and it's nasty all the time. And although we were having those trials and tribulations with the boys once they were born, I really feel like it was, it was tough, um, but it needed to happen. And now, you know, we're in, uh, oh geez, April of 2023, the boys just turned a year and a half, about a month ago. 
they're light years from where they were. We've, you know, restored their gut flora and stuff like that from antibiotics that were, uh, used during the birth and then given after. And, um, we've really just, we made a lot of progress, but it has been burning the candle at both ends and, you know, blowtorch in the middle, uh, having to, in my mind, rectify things, get things right to reduce the pressure on the family and kind of create that foundation. And I really feel like probably spring of this year, early this year, we've started hitting that groove where it feels like all that back in, you know, that backloaded kind of pregnancy where all the effort was showing up when the boy showed up has gotten better. We've got a grip on it. And I'm, I'm sure some of that's conditioning, but I'm also a firm believer that because I've taken uh, the time and been intentional about straightening things out, um, this year has been much better, much more enjoyable, which makes me a better person nicer person and, uh, more enjoyable to be around. You know, your children want to spend time with you. Your wife wants to spend time with you. Pardon me. When you're always running, 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 and it's, I mean, just chaos and spinning it out of control. You can't really, you know, make the forward progress you want. And, um, I've just now kind of gotten to a point where we have the margin back in our lives. Uh, I have, you know, curtailed my, um, uh, my schedule to be, convenient, um, for myself again, uh, to have that margin so I can squeeze those extra things in and still maintain a balanced home life. But I will not, you know, lie to you. It's taken me 10 years to get to this point. I was just doing some simple math the other day and I have had my practice Sarasota pain treatment center for 10 years now, uh, and some rough math, uh, not anything too specific, but roughly, uh, on hand probably, or hands on about 20,000 treatment hours. Um, which I was astounded to hear that number. And I was just like, holy cow. But, you know, early on, I've always believed, especially when it comes to, I mean, neurosomatic therapy, but any concept really understanding something is repetition. You got to get the reps in, you got to get the experience. And, you know, my advice to a lot of new therapists is like, get hands on bodies. You know, in the beginning, you don't have as much or you don't have as much money. You got more time. You're going to have to sacrifice one or the other. And if you, you know, you know, rise through the levels and, and you start making a better income for yourself, you're going to get to a point. You're going to realize this where your time is becoming more valuable because you're desired for your techniques and what you can actually do that you don't want to. Or not that you don't want to, there's a trade-off that occurs and that, you know, now that your time is utilized more, you're going to have to give up what you have more of. And usually that tends to be money. And, you know, for me that came down to like, you know, having an acupuncturist, for instance, that we would consult, um, doing more natural kind of, uh, alternative remedies, uh, healing treatments, stuff like that for our boys and daughter, um, that are kind of outside that Western scope. And, you know, as I kind of, as I, you know, created that margin, refined things and, you know, kind of started making better trade-offs, I realized that I could, I could spend my time doing what I was good at and then use, you know, the, uh, the resources from that to kind of help these other things in life. And I didn't have to be there as hands-on trying to fix it all, all the time. And, um, yeah, for me, it was just, uh, a, it really, kind of eye-opening that like, hey, you were able to sustain, sustain this and recultivate this, re-sculpt it in a sense that um, you could kind of, I could keep going and I could make the necessary changes and refining, um, but still make that forward progress. And yeah, I mean, it's just, um, oh geez, it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's, um, you know, you're helping people along the way. Um, you're learning a tremendous amount and it's really just, it's great. So, um, I will say with that, you know, my career has, uh, I'll say begun to shift 
um, I can see the cruise ship redirecting itself. And um, basically, I've just noticed that my, um, my desire to want to work just nonstop uh, is no longer really fulfilling. And the reason it's not fulfilling is, you know, I've done so many reps, I've almost got to a point where um, I'm more curious. So I'm, I'm looking for people that are more rare, more complicated, things like that. And they're not every day, right? I have very basic people some days. Um, but I love those opportunities when I get new people in that really stretch my mind or really make me use um, kind of all of my tools, everything I've gained over time. And with that um, has made me begin think, to think differently about um, treating in general, you know, who I treat, who I'm reaching out to. And without going too much into all that um, and, you know, how things are, are kind of segueing, um, you know, things like this, uh, reaching out and educating the public. You know, there's always been this belief that if we just had enough neurosmatic therapists, like the world would automatically change. And I don't, I don't necessarily see that. Um, results shift things. So we really need to get people to a point of where they're understanding, I'll say, you know, some of the natural laws that govern the body. Um, there's a big educational component, but if we can get people to a, a point where they're understanding that their general practitioner is lacking because of a lack of knowledge and that if we were just to understand some of these basic principles that govern the body, um, I believe, uh, there's people that can actually get themselves out of, you know, not terrible situations. You're always going to need an outside third party to come in and, and, you know, maybe do things that you can't do yourself or a second party, but there's always... There's always something that can be done. And it's interesting with some of the, as I've refined my knowledge and, and seen what's really important in the body and what the body really cares about, it's been interesting to see how people can get better and they can make some subtle shifts and whether it be alleviating pain or just um, getting a little more margin so they can make it through to their next appointment. It's really interesting on, you know, uh, self-therapy, self-instruction, things like that, people actually getting better and and noticing some results from that. So. With all that being said, um, you know, the, the podcast, um, my, my uh, tool product uh, that's out there, uh, there's some things that are in the works and hopefully some things that will be coming together that will not just um, provide knowledge uh, to the public, but provide the tools, resources, and guide to uh, try to help ourselves, you know, try to understand how the body really works, what the body really wants. And if we can just go with the flow, if we can just do what the body wants us to do and work alongside with the body, you'll realize that once you get the body to begin to change, it knows where it should be. It knows what it wants to do. Um, you know, like other therapists say, we're facilitators. I believe that we're getting something to change. The body has the infinite wisdom. The body is going to do what it knows to do. And the only thing that's kind of standing in the way is either getting gridlocked or maybe some soft tissue patterns. And if we can change that, well, we can change people. We can change people. We can change the world. So why not? So, um, yeah, my career definitely in the 10 years has definitely went from, you know, just nose to the grindstone, doing as much as I possibly could, uh, getting those reps and getting the knowledge to now that I feel like I've attained a certain amount of knowledge. Um, and I don't want to say that in a sense of like, I have nothing yet to learn, but I feel like I'm at a capacity well, I'll frame it this way. Uh, I will say I never had an issue public speaking, uh, explaining what I did, but I would have an issue when I spoke with doctors. 
And it's not that I would get into a back and forth with a doctor in a different belief system because we do typically, but I knew that as I was, say, arguing my point, I didn't understand my point the best I possibly could. And as I refined that and I got better and I understood the work better and I could connect the dots easier, well, now I can have that conversation with the doctor and I don't go in the conversation with the doctor trying to convince the doctor of what I know or that he knows less than me or I know more than him uh, or vice versa. It's more of a, I now feel a sense of confidence that I understand my work and I can explain my work. And if you don't get it, there's a lack of education. There's a, there's a component, a piece of the puzzle that you don't fully understand that you're not coming to, gr- to terms with that if you did understand it, much like other people, you'd have that aha moment. And I think everyone's capable of that. It's just a matter of being confident in what you're conveying, how you're conveying it. And I noticed this as an early therapist and especially fresh out of like training was you think, you know, and you're trying to mention it, but you, you'll maybe kind of notice you're a little vague or a little this or that. And, it, and what it is, is there's a sense of you're still uncertain in your own abilities. You haven't seen it play out a couple times. You haven't seen the same pattern. I mean, I'll often mention to people, I'll see patterns of, you know, something three, four times with different patients. And it's almost like it's, it's a, it's a, a lesson, you know, it's like, Hey, you need to focus on this or what you thought you knew. You don't fully know. You need to go back and you need to walk through the paces and not just walk through the paces, but you need to, you need to feel things. Your perceptions need to change. You need to look at surrounding tissues. You need to look at surrounding distortions, measurements. You need to be taking in a better picture than what you've currently gotten. And I know when those things start to happen, I know I should be tuning in now because it's happened so much in the past. And when I would focus, boy, would I get results because I'm refining that knowledge. And again, with that refining, you're now better equipped, better capable. You can convey a better message. You can educate people better. And just everything really starts to click in a much, much better way than it does when you're early on. And again, it's not that you're trying to prove people right or wrong. It's just that we're trying to convey a very simple message of how the body corrects itself, how it should be functioning. And if we can understand those mechanisms and we can get the body back to a sense of symmetry and lack of, uh, or, uh, lack of imbalance, um, issues fade away and the body's fine and it's back to homeostasis and all is well. So yeah, just, uh, uh we'll probably in a future episode, get into a little bit more of, um, some of the different things I'm involved with, um, what we're looking to bring forward in the future. Um, uh, kind of what we've been working on in the background, although I haven't been doing, uh, the podcast, for instance, uh, that doesn't stop the ideas in, uh, uh, the background work. Uh, I will say I'm definitely one of those individuals that I will be up until midnight, uh, doing things and you may not see them. And then when they do all of a sudden, it seems like a hundred things are happening at once. And it's not that, uh, it's just happening. It's that it's been looked at, refined, figured out. How does this connect? What does this do? So yeah, hopefully in, uh, in some future episodes, uh, we will be sharing a bit more of that. And, um, yeah, hopefully you guys can continue on our journey. Um, now to get into, you know, some of the, the, the pregnancy stuff with the boys, um, with my wife, I'd mentioned, you know, having to be in the operating room, having the, um, uh, potential for a surgical pr- procedure. Thankfully we didn't, uh, we had arrived, pardon me. We had arrived, um, on a Friday, there were some delays. And once we got in, we got situated with the, uh, the hospital room, all that sort of stuff. And we were told, you know, shortly thereafter that we would end up in a uh, operating room for the actual delivery itself. 
And, uh, you know, just as prepared as we were going into this situation, um, some unexpected things happen. Uh, thankfully our doula ended up coming to the hospital. Uh, she wasn't anticipating to stay, but they allowed her. Uh, and, uh, mind you, this was like kind of, uh, I'll say, I don't want to say end of COVID. I don't know. It was when COVID was lightening up sort of a thing. So they were a little strict with who was there, who wasn't there, but she was also credentialed as a nurse. So I will make this recommendation. Uh, if you do get a doula and you plan on doing a hospital or home birth, I have many patients doing both right now. Uh, that doula is a great sidekick. Uh, you have a partner there. Uh, she is educating you both along the way. She is there as a resource during, and, uh, thank God ours was there because I ended up getting food poisoning at the local hospital. Uh, just got a junk burger from the, uh, the cafe. And within a couple hours, you know, I'm watching my wife go through the phases of, um, they did give her a, uh, a, a bit of Pitocin. Uh, we did find she was having contractions when we showed up. So that was a good thing, but they gave her a little Pitocin to get things moving. And there's a couple documentaries that you can look into about, you know, uh, births and Pitocin and stuff like that. And if you know, you know, but I will say the one thing that we were grateful for is the midwife that worked for our doctor, as well as our doula, were both very conscious and aware of the fact that once those contractions started coming, they were adjusting that Pitocin. They weren't just letting it go full throttle, which oftentimes can put the baby in a state of distress is what it is. Um, but thankfully they were mindful enough to, you know, kind of let off the gas, so to speak. And as all that was happening, uh, I could just feel my gut churning and churning. And at a certain point during the nice night, I feel bad for my wife. I was, I was useless. Um, I was completely incapacitated. Usually I'm a workaholic. I'm nonstop. And I mean, I was just down and out or I would be laying on the couch and then I'd have to get up, go to the bathroom, lick my wounds, so to speak, come back out. And I swear, I mean, this went on for probably a good six hours. And I think I emerged around 7 a.m. starting to feel a bit better. And I swear about that same time, they were like, okay, like she's ready. It's go time. And, uh, we were very fortunate in the fact that both of our boys were not, uh, breached. Uh, they were both head down. Um, they were, uh, I'll, I'll say baby a came out pretty easily. Uh, baby B, uh, if you ask my wife, this, she believes he wasn't ready yet. And there's definitely some, uh, some signs at least then that he wasn't quite ripe. And, um, regardless, uh, she delivered them both very healthily. Um, unfortunately, as they were trying to uh, remove her placenta, it had torn. And uh, I mean, when it's happening, this isn't really known. Plus, they're also trying to make sure everybody's alive and healthy and well. So the placenta was something that actually began to manifest kind of the week, week two after that. And, you know, as as hard as, you know, my wife had it in the hospital, the boys did really well. But then when we got home, um, and there may be some debate on this sort of a thing, but, uh, I had Crohn's back in the day. So I'm a firm believer that, uh, antibiotics are not a cure all and they can actually lead to more detriment than help sometimes. So the boy or my wife was, um, put on a, uh, uh, an antibiotic drip, uh, when the pregnancy was going on in case they did have to do surgery. And then afterwards, uh, of course that affected the boys. And then afterwards the boys were getting infections, ear infections. And of course the antibiotic was the the looked at cure all at the time. And that's when we opted to start working more with an acupuncturist to basically rebuild their gut flora. Um, just a little back history about seven, eight years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's. I was about 22 and it took me about two years to get myself out of that trench. And, uh, I will say that, you know, me kind of running out of the doctor's office was probably what saved my life. 
But I also recognized during that journey that um, I had ruined my gut flora. Uh, I was a firm believer that the antibiotics would be just a cure-all. And if I were to get sick back in uh, high school, college, when I was training a lot, I was like, oh, great, I can go back to training. Like, I'll no longer be sick. And that wasn't the case. Um, I think a lot of it led to, you know, potential leaky gut, gut damage in the future. And that eventually kind of set me up, you know, uh, uh, for the Crohn situation. So when the boys came out, we eventually started addressing that. But my wife was having this retained placenta issue. So she was having breast, uh, breastfeeding problems. Her body was almost in limbo. Uh, her, her uterus felt the placenta. It was still attached. And her hormones were saying, hey, like there's still a baby in here. And her, her breast milk production and stuff just wasn't upregulated in the way that we wanted it to. Uh, and then, of course, one of the boys <laughs> uh, was having a latching problem. So it's just like, like I said, every, all the work was back end loaded. Uh, the babies growing were amazing. I mean, to have seven pound twins is quite impressive. Uh, and I mean, hats off to my wife. I mean, she's stellar, 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 stellar. It is incredible to see how she's gone about it and how she stuck to her guns and just kind of push through and, you know, this is my way. And unless there's something traumatic or life-changing occurring, this is the game plan and this is what we're sticking to. So again, cleaning up your room, making sure you're there for your partner. I knew that I had to step up a certain amount or maybe a bit more when she was in that state because she wasn't healing well. Uh, Her body wasn't doing what we wanted it to do. And like I said, she was in limbo for a couple weeks there before she had went and had a DNC and they basically had to scrape that placenta off the wall. Um, thankfully it was a outpatient procedure. We had her back home and within, I want to say a couple days, uh, she started actually her milk supply upregulated it. And again, if we can understand these natural regulating things in the body, whereas, you know, oh, you're having breastfeeding issues. Well, if you ever retain placenta because it tore upon removal, well, there's maybe, you know, it's like you're uh, trying to sh- um, shift gears in a car and you're not hitting the clutch. You're just grinding gears the whole time. Your body's trying to make things happen and it can't, and it just needs a little assistance. So, you know, just like they had to do the DNC could be just the same as me, you know, mobilizing someone's cranial bones after a head, uh, a head trauma in a car accident, right? It's just your body's stuck. It needs a little assistance, a little push in the right direction. And then all of a sudden it just picks up and does what it needs to. So, um, other than that, I mean, you know, obviously the, the typical recovery and stuff like that, um, was, uh, um, not lengthy, but enduring. I mean, it was, it was, it was tough because she's trying to do her, her role. I'm trying to do my role. Plus I'm also trying to, uh, uh, provide and run the office and things like that. And it's, it's a lot. Um, but I will say that, uh, I mean, could it have gone better? Yes. Um, but I'll take the way it went. Uh, it was tough. There were definitely some hard moments. Um, but it could have been way worse. And I've heard of some stories that were way worse. And I've, uh, uh, recently heard of some, uh, uh, some folks we know that had, uh, lost a child and I just can't even fathom it. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> if bad is the flavor of the day, I'll take bad as the flavor of the day. If you know what I mean? So, um, I will follow up with this, uh, in regards to all that is, you know, when it comes to cleaning up your room and just kind of like getting things in order, uh, one thing that, and I'll, I'll hear this a little back and forth with patients sometimes is maybe they're not a hundred percent on board with what their, um, uh, their partner wanted to do. And I'm going to tell you, it's much like raising your kids. If you have both, if you both have different ideals and stuff about this, it's going to get a little shifty. Um, you're going to have problems and it's going to become contentious between you. So 
you know, we had things outlined like, you know, the do's and don'ts in the hospital, what we want, what we don't want. Um, we also, thankfully the midwife that worked for the doctor, um, and this is something to keep in mind as well. If, if you are in the situation, you're going to be having a baby soon, or you and your partner are, um, is <laughs> our midwife was great. in the fact that she said, we want nurses serving this couple that are like-minded and not trying to cause conflict. Cause guess what? We don't want mom to have to deal with on day of conflict. So having like-minded practitioners around that weren't trying to educate you on the day of is really, really beneficial. Uh, the last thing a father to be or a mother to be wants to hear on game day is how you should have made different choices or how you should do this or shouldn't do that. Any decision made without time, without time to, to, to reconcile, to think about things, to, to think of the good, the bad, the ugly, if it is made in haste, it is going to be a bad decision. I mean, unless it's life-threatening. If they're saying, hey, you know, you need to do this C-section and you're, you're going to lose your child. Well, you know, we got to do what we got to do. Uh, but if we're splitting hairs over, you know, vitamins, supplements, things like that, have it your way. And be on the same page with your spouse or your partner so that when you go in, if she's knocked out and unconscious, she can be confident as you as the father executing. Or if you're the father and <laughs> you wanted things to go a certain way, and you're like me, incapacitated on the couch over some bad food, you want her to make good decisions. And I will say this, you know, my my poor wife, on the table when we're trying to get baby B out, um, she finally had that moment, or no, I'll say before even baby A came out, there was, a, and I, I love this nurse for even being there, she was definitely a veteran nurse, uh, she had had twins herself, she had nine children by herself, uh, or, you know, throughout her lifetime. And she was really, I feel like a, a lifesaver on game day because she really kind of, you know, spoke into my wife in a way that I couldn't, um, as a mother and was just like, you got to do this and you can do this. And there's no reason you can't do it right now. And I mean, she was really, I mean, she helped everything, but she was really just like, Hey, you know, you wanted it this way. You have the opportunity. You need to seize that opportunity. And I want to say it was in maybe the first five minutes or so of getting into the operating room uh, and everybody's getting settled in position. And of course, we've got half the hospital there because how often does a woman have two babies naturally uh, or vaginally uh, with no drugs? And um, the minute my wife gets rolled in and situated, she goes, she's like, is it too late to do the epidural? And mind you, if you knew my wife, this would never be like on the table of a possibility at all. And um the, the, uh, uh, the nurse, the elderly nurse that was there, she was just like, she goes, Nope. She goes, you wanted it your way. We're going to do it this way. And it was again, one of those moments where when she began to falter in what she wanted, even with that other nurse there, I was going to push unless something life threatening, life changing was about to occur. This is what we wanted. And we didn't want this for X, Y, and Z reasons. So we're going to stick to this path. So whether mom or dad isn't available, you both need to be on the same page of like, this is the game plan. We are following through with the game plan, regardless of what changes. We're only going to make changes again, if they're life threatening. So I just kind of, you know, I'll get off my soapbox there, but it's, I definitely see if you can't get the birth down, I will say you're going to have some struggles raising them. If you couldn't agree on that stuff, there's going to be some other stuff that comes up down the road that you're not going to see it eye to eye, to eye on. And y'all got to be able to work that out. And if the first, you know, that first round you guys didn't get worked out and it was, you know, 
someone feels a certain way about something that happened, you're going to see that same cycle happen again and again and again and again and again. So I'll just throw that out there. But, um, again, you gotta, I mean, you gotta step up. You have to know what you want. Um, you have to take an information, but you ultimately have to execute on a decision for yourself. And I will say that's one thing my generation seems to struggle with is decision-making this, you know, paralysis analysis, like you can't stay there. Uh, it's not helpful to you. Um, and actually, I, I forget where I heard this quote, but it goes something along the lines of, um, discipline weighs ounces and regret weighs tons. And when I heard that, I was like, holy cow, talk about, you know, something to carry in my backpack for the day. The amount of times where I've regretted not doing something, I would have much rather have gone through the suffering in the moment than to look back and go, oh, I could have done better. This could have been this. This could have been that. I never want to look back and go, it could have been this. And if I made a decision and it wasn't the good decision, then I'm willing to take ownership in that. But if I made a, a decision that I come to find out could have been better, or I was lazy or lackadaisical and didn't go get in for more information or study or refine what I knew, I'm going to feel a certain way about that. And, um, again, that discipline, the taking that extra mile, and this can go for taking care of your patients too. If you got time in your schedule and you're lacking in patience, you know, sit there at the end of the day and go over their notes. Like who says just the time that you're with them is their time. Um, take that time, refine yourself. Cause it's not just for them. You're going to help them. That's going to be a result, but what you're going to carry away from that situation is going to be way better. Again, the disciplines ounces, the regret that that person coming back and saying, Hey, I'm not better. And this isn't changing. I've always had that feeling as a practitioner that I have the skills and ability to change it. If I can't either, it can't change or I'm not at the ability level to help you. And if that's the case, well then, you know, there's plenty of other people you can go see. Um, but again, I think just that, you know, not giving it our all the first time. You don't want to look back and go, ah, that could have been better, you know. That's no way to um, to go about it, at least for me. And, um, yeah, so I will also say that there was a, um, oh, what's the best way to put it? And this, can, this kind of goes into a little bit of... Um, just developing yourself as, as a man as well. Uh, obviously I'm sure women go through this, uh, to some extent, but, uh, you need to, when you're assuming these responsibilities, when you're making these changes, you have to realize that there's a, there's a, a side of you that is very familiar and very comfortable and very reliant. It's always been there. That is going to ruin you. Um, your, you know, your inner child, uh, you can say, uh, also maybe living in the shadow of your father, um, letting your father die to you, whether it be metaphorically or actually in person, having to go through that grieving process. There is something to assuming your manhood, your womanhood, and those responsibilities that really needs to take place. And I will say, I mean, I kind of feel like I was cheating a little bit when we had our daughter because we had things so well put together that bringing a child in was just bringing a child in. It was, you know, it was par for the course. It didn't really feel like it changed things. It mentally, some things shifted, but it wasn't this big weight. Whereas when the boy showed up and maybe a part of this could be too, that, you know, I, I finally recognize that I'm not just raising a daughter, um, but I'm raising young men and those young men are going to be looking at me, 
Um, but she is too. So I don't want to say it's just, you know, male, female kind of a thing, but, um, there was definitely a, a side of me that, you know, the, the, I'll say the box that Smith men fit in, uh, at some point in my life was broken. And I realized that I had to kind of remake that box. Who are we? What do we represent? What do we believe? What do we do? What don't we do? And with that came that death. I had to get rid of the ideals of what I thought about my father. I had to get away from the ideas of what, you know, I had heard people tell me I should be sort of a thing. And I, I really, the, the more I thought to myself and the more I dug, I actually found myself kind of back at square one. I started reflecting and realizing, you know, a person that I was, say, in, you know, when I was teenage years, that was mutated and did weird things to fit in or, you know, become socially acceptable or do this or that, I realized they're not, they don't serve you. And you did them for this other weird reason in the first place, but yet they're still carrying forward and it's still part of your, your every day. So for me, just going back and seeing like, Hey, this stuff isn't right. This stuff is right. We need more of this, less of this. You have to let go of that. I want to play video games or I need me time and some people do like, I'm more of an introvert. I need my extrovert time is interacting with the public. You know, whether I'm, I'm speaking, talking to somebody, working on patients, uh, when I'm done though, I'm like a recluse. And if you see me on the weekends, like I got a backwards hat on, I look plain as can be like, I don't want to talk about what I do. I don't want to talk about anything. I'm just like, I'm just being me. And it's, I had to get that back. Um, so that I figured, you know, kind of had to figure out who I wasn't, who I didn't want to be and then refine down who I wanted to be and just kind of like, you know, this is what I want. This is who I'm going to be. But at the same time, I'm going to pull myself out of those situations when I need to so that my body and my mind can recover and regenerate and I can come back and deliver the same quality I was before, but I need this time over there. So, you know, getting rid of that junk and being responsible again, reducing that back end clutter. So if I'm not, if I'm not straight financially, when I'm trying to play with my kids, I know this is going on in the background. And if dad did things fishy and you're doing things fishy, you know, something isn't right. You know, it's not reconciling in your mind and your mind's sending up red flags and you're trying to, you know, ignore them or maybe my cleverness will, you know, work its way out. You won't, you're going to keep digging yourself a bigger hole. So, you know, again, I, I digress. Um, but I think there is great benefit to, um, you know, we don't really have a, uh, uh, what's the proper term, like a transition from boyhood to fatherhood or, or, you know, girl to womanhood sort of a thing. And in a sense, we kind of have to facilitate it ourselves. And I don't see, uh, a lot of people doing that or putting themselves in those positions where it's, it's kind of forced to emerge sort of a thing. And they kind of stay under that, that veil and it's, um, it doesn't serve them. And ultimately it does more harm than good. So, um, again, I digress. That's just a little something I wanted to throw in there. Um, that was, you know, big for me, big for me. So, uh, all right, let's, um, before I take up a whole lot, lot more time, I want to get into uh, some kind of prenatal care here. And um, I will say, not getting into a lot of great detail on this, but you know, one of the things that we'll see women struggle with the most is um, low back pain, you know, when they're pregnant. And the, the short of it is, you know, as your, your abdominal muscles are forced to stretch, they begin to lengthen because baby's growing, you know, your pelvis wants to flex more, uh, and it's doing other things as well. But as I'll say, just like a, a good 
Um, and so we'll call this like a cure-all kind of a trick. If, you know, you're soon to be mom, you're patient, your, you know, uh, wife, spouse, whatever, if they're struggling with back pain, what I found is, uh, uh most prenatal care has to be done on their side, obviously, cause baby's growing, but, uh, say we'll just consider this all sideline type stuff. So first, second, third trimester, doesn't matter. Make sure that as mom is growing and baby is growing, that you continue to check the internal obliques, external obliques, um, basically keeping tissue healthy so that if it needs to contract, it can contract and adapt to the new position. And if it needs to stretch, it can stretch and adapt to the new position. Many women, just like people, when their body gets to a certain, I'll say compensatory limit, their body can no longer adjust anymore. Um, women will go into pregnancies um, with distortions with dysfunction. And when, you know, these things haven't been resolved, which can be a bit of a process for people. Um, and it's not like we can put the pregnancy on hold and take care of all this. You kind of have to do what you, you need to do. So I will say kind of nuts and bolts for pregnant women is I always check their internal and external obliques. Um, it helps tremendously with low back pain. Um, that then now gives you a little more margin so that mom can get her head out of her back and begin to, you know, kind of give you some other information. And of course, if the patient has maybe a leg length issue or things like that, those have to be addressed. Um, my wife has about a four millimeter left, uh, short leg, and we had to, uh, kind of, you know, uh, 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 have her shoes or her sandals altered. And with the alteration, we got the lift in the sandal that way, just putting around at home. Um, if she got up from the couch, boom, she could slip it in. She could walk to the kitchen and back again. And, some people can sustain these distortions better than others, but I will say with the weight my uh, uh, wife was carrying uh, with the boys and how much her belly had distended, um, I feel like maybe every week or two, we were doing some you know, oblique work, we were doing some hip work, um, we were working on her jaw, we were working on her cranium. If this person, and my wife is one of, the, one of these people, if they're hypermobile, you're gonna have a stronger tendency for some of these things, you're gonna have to go back and spend a little more time um, checking it and uh, uh, kind of think that, you know, everything connective tissue-wise is looser than it was before, and they were already hypermobile to begin with. So um, if you can try to weight train, do some stuff like that, going into the pregnancy where you're so capable, um, that can be beneficial. But um, uh, again, you, you become more and more limited as the pregnancy goes on and what you can and can't do. So uh, cranial work is really, really significant with the pelvic distortions. Um, sometimes the cranium's on board, uh, sometimes it's not. And that can be one of the, uh, you know, a love it reactor writing reflex, uh, type manifestation can gridlock everything. And just by correcting that, or maybe eliminating a jaw influence on that whole mechanism can really turn, turn the tables for someone so that their, um, their body's supported. It's regulating the way that it should be. And then of course, if they do need a lift, you have to address that asymmetry so that they're not hobbling around. Um, uh, before or after treatments. And uh, I think at the time I was treating my wife a little bit in the office, maybe once a month, but then of course I would have to do some work at home. Um, but I've instructed uh, dads to be as their wives were pregnant on uh, kind of low back pain. And obviously there can be other culprits um, just from personal experience. Uh, again, if that muscle can't contract and get out of its own way, it's going to bind up and create a pain response. So this is kind of one of those good, like little keep in your back pocket tricks. This could even be something that, you know, a doula midwife could actually do to uh, a mother if she's doing at home birth. 
Um, I know with my wife, when we had our daughter, so five years ago, uh, we did a home birth and she stopped dilating. And uh, we had done some prep work to her neck and cranium beforehand, but as things were transitioning, she stopped dilating. And I did some simple cranial work, cervical work, her C1 mobilized, reduced the pressure on her nervous system. And I'll say within like 60 seconds, two minutes, uh, her water blow broke and um, she dilated uh, to the full 10. So it was, it was significant. And, and again, seeing that, seeing home births, seeing hospital births, seeing the significance in all this, uh, I really have, I feel, refined it down to some simple things that can really uh, uh, you know, tip the tables, uh, in a good way for people and, um, inner obliques or, uh, uh, internal obliques and external, as well as the cranial work and lifts are really vital. You want to try to help mom through that process as much as possible. And then after the fact, say they have other issues, whether it be in their shoulder girdle or work patterns that are causing, you know, migraines and neck distortions and all this other stuff, you can come back to that. Um, but really it seems like if you can keep their body communicating, talking to itself properly, as well as just offloading any sort of pelvic pressure or pressure on the Lovett reactor, uh, the pregnancy goes better and mom's quality of life is much better, uh, which means her going into the pregnancy or the birth, uh, is going to be a lot easier. And then of course, baby having a good delivery is going to go better too, because the body's in symmetry and the body's not stuck in this fully sympathetic state. You're keeping it, you know, somewhat reduced, maybe not fully, uh, into a parasympathetic state, but keeping the body more relaxed and keeping that harmony, that, uh, that homeostasis in the body, at least structurally. Um, I found, well, just like with my wife, with the, um, uh, the cervical and cranial issues, when that was resolved, uh, immediately things changed and it just, um, for me, it was a real, a real testament of like, okay, what if we did this for all women? right from day one they're getting these treatments uh and I'll, I'll i'll segue into to treating kids as well if we can address these issues it really makes me wonder um over my career you know some of these little people i get to influence now how it's going to change the trajectory of their life how their body's going to develop how their mind is going to develop um, just because we're 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 reducing those internal pressures or external variables that have impacted their body in a negative way. And if we can just reduce that stimulus, like how far can we really go? So um, I will say this as well, when it comes to um, vaginal versus C-section, I know when I did my training, um, I feel like the the main conversation was around C-section babies. And it can be, it can be a real shit show. I mean, you're you're maybe using forceps or hands to, to pull the baby out of the womb, all that sort of stuff. Um, well, I'll tell you, being in the pool with my wife, having our firstborn, and then being in the hospital room by her side as she pushed out our two boys, um, whether it be a cord wrapped around a baby's neck or the doctor trying to, you know, maybe get the shoulder or something like that out of the vaginal canal, um, and not purposely, but... I can, I see the torque on the neck. I mean, uh, <laughs> the, the, the shape of my, my son's head as it was coming out. I mean, everything's just smushed together. So to think that when the child comes out, all these structures are just going to kind of pop back into place where they should be is almost, um, it's, it's, it's a childish thought. Um, sometimes it does, but even in good situations, there's distortions there. 
Uh, and it's because there's soft tissue wrapping around the structure and the structure is more malleable at that point. And until it really solidifies, things are going to kind of wash and wane. And, um, I will say with our boys, um, they started getting treatment immediately. Um, that's just, that's what I do. Um, I don't feel like there's a difference between treating a 90 year old and a child. Um, you're going to have to be delicate regardless. Um, both have different things going on. Uh, but for children, I've realized is it's, it's less of a, uh, 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 what's the right term? Like specificity of, of like doing specific things to the child to resolve an issue. It's more, we fall into that love it reactor world of like, let's just reduce burden on the nervous system and make sure the body's talking. And with our boys, I mean, definitely way more rough and tumble than our daughter was. But uh, we had brought them in. Now they have kind of like monthly appointments. We have Smith family appointments uh, every month. And the whole herd comes in and we just treat everybody. We treat mama, the kids, whatever. And the last time the boys came in, they were better. But the time before that, they had, I want to say they had like uh, six vectors in their head each. And it was almost kind of, it was comical that the distortions were fairly similar with the me and twins. Um, Not to say there's a correlation, but they uh, uh, just from learning to walk hobbling around, uh, bumping their heads, doing this, having little falls, obviously falling on their butt, potentially on their tailbone. Uh, these distortions are created. And then they, as the body's trying to regulate it all, sometimes it just gets stuck in the head. And if all that's just dysregulated and bound and you never try to re-regulate it, I don't know what kind of changes it makes, but I know it's not positive ones. Um, if, if, a, if a, a dysfunction at an early stage can lead to migraines down the road, or uh, a potential leg length issue and scoliosis down the road. Uh, it really makes me wonder what other things that we see in modern children, modern society, uh, come as a, a long domino effect from that child not being uh, treated and things put back into symmetry from day one. Um, and thankfully, I, I do get to work on a lot of kids. I work on a lot of babies. And that's kind of the approach I take. I'm not, yeah, I'm going to do some measurements. I'm going to do this and that. But Really, the the essence of it is is get their system to synchronize, get their cranium and their pelvis to begin to communicate again properly. Because especially once they become weight bearing and the limbs begin to grow, um, like I noticed this with one of our boys, he was kind of U shaped in the womb. His brother was straight down, and he was kind of arched. Um, when he was in that arched position, you know his his pelvis was in such a way where um, you know his glutes were concentric in a certain area and eccentric in another area because they're just, they're loaded. He's, he's being kind of torqued on. And, uh, when he started walking, we would notice kind of some balance issues. And I initially thought it was maybe vestibular in his head. And after correcting that, he was still a little bit off and it, uh, uh, just happened to coincide with, he had a little cold or something at the same time. And I was working on his hip. And I was just kind of digging through the lateral portion of his hip, just trying to get it to open up. Cause I, I just popped into my head. I was like, Oh yeah, he was U shaped in there. Like that hip has to be compressed and worked on it, worked on it, worked on it a couple minutes. And then I sat him up. And when I sat him up, his hip cracked and, uh, you know, I don't get alarmed when things crack because we're not intentionally trying to make them crack. We're not trying to do chiropractic adjustments. Um, it's just a mobilization it's, and it's, we're not even intentionally trying to mobilize it. It's just when you reduce a negative stimulus on the body, 
again, it knows where it should be, right? So if the body wants to be here and it's over here, the minute you've relieved the stimulus that's causing it to deviate in the first place, it wants to go back to the healthy position. So the minute that happened, I was like, great, we're cooking, right? Things are changing. And uh, I followed up doing a little bit on the other side. Not much else changed after that. And he walked around and, you know, he, he walked a little bit weird, of course, just because, you know, the hip's different, his body's behaving different. Uh, plus, he's new. He's wobbling around. He's not sturdy on his feet. Uh, but I'll say the next day when we ended up at the pediatrician's, I checked it again. And that time I put him on my knee and his legs kind of split sort of a thing. And when they did that, the other side decompressed and mobilized and let go. And it just really made me reflect more on, you know, when you're viewing your child and at a certain point, baby's not moving too much because they're, they're too big. There's only so much room and they're just kind of stuck there. Uh, baby can be pushing on certain muscles, causing pain patterns, causing dysfunction, but you also, I think it's significant to look at where baby was positioned and you could kind of, you know, deductively work through and go, okay, well that joint was a little compressed there, or they were kind of bent in this position. So I bet if we kind of look in that area, we're going to find some stuff and say you could fast forward like five years and the child's upright and all that stuff. You might see all those distortions while they're standing and see all this stuff manifesting. But in the moment, we just have to assume something's there, something's going on because the body's always adapting to the positions that it's left in. So if baby's in a U shape in the womb, well, certain sides concentric and certain sides eccentric. And, you know, we can't wait five, 10 years, or we shouldn't wait five, 10 years to see how this works out uh, and hope that it's better. No, you got to be proactive and actually trying to address it. And, and that's where, you know, I'd like some of this education stuff to go is just informing people that these are potentials. These are out there. It can happen, may happen, may not happen. Your child may be great and not have any, any of these problems. But the people that do, boy, I'd, I bet they'd love if they had this knowledge, especially if it's going to prevent their child from, you know, having further issues in the future or issues that seem new when really it's been just an accumulation of things, you know, year after year after year after year. So um, I will say on top of that, there's <clears throat> if we got the change that we would like, uh, I'll say in the system itself in Western medicine. And we actually got to be part of that, um, APGAR protocol. I know my instructors always used to say, you know, boy, it'd be great if we could be there in the room, right? Cause we could do a simple mobilization, a simple Atlas correction, and we can get rid of torticollis. We can get rid of reflux. Um, and not that it would just go, it'd be perfect after that day. But, you know, I recently just started seeing this little girl who's probably three, uh, three, yeah, three, four months old. And she had a significant tilt. She had a significant atlas rotation. She had projection. She was having reflux issues, um, all of these things. And here, mom and dad, it just seemed like they had fire after fire after fire. And yet nobody could take a step back and go, well, baby was in this position and this was happening and this was happening. And there was a term they did describe how she was positioned in the womb, but it was like she was a lawn chair folding up on top of herself. And it just, her neck was torqued in a way that how could it not be projected? You know, how could it not have a rotation component or something? And, you know, you can try to PT your way out of that. But if a tissue is dysfunctional, we have to really uh, uh, look at things differently as if there is a state of dysfunction, there has to be some capacity of inhibition. And if we see the inhibition as weakness and we always try to add tone to that inhibition, we're actually strengthening imbalances. And neurologically, your body doesn't want to do that. So it's almost playing a game with you the whole time. Not like a fun game, but just kind of like, hey, can you stop doing that? Because you're adding to the dysfunction. And sometimes, 
And I think this goes for like PT and chiropractic as well. Sometimes for chiropractors, they get the bone moved the right way. And it helps because the muscles are pulling it the opposite way. But you hear people that have a bad adjustment and you can classify it bad as whatever you want to, but the body wanted was asking something of that bone and you moved it differently. And the minute that person stands back up, it doesn't want to stay in the different spot. It wants to go back to what the body was asking it to do in the first place. And physical therapy is the same. If you have a, a bicep that's in spasm, that's in a state of trauma, and not that the trauma just happened, but that a trauma occurred, the body remembers that. It remembers that moment, and you have to get those neuromuscular junctions to release. You have to get that soft tissue to get healthy again. And now, all of a sudden, the body's willing to make changes. It's willing to get stronger. And I've had people in the office where, you know, where we do some, I'll just use bicep curls as, a, as an example. They struggle lifting 10 pounds, and then we do some treatment, and all of a sudden, they can lift 20, 30 pounds, and they're moving their shoulder, doing things that they couldn't do before that would elicit pain. Well, it's, again, just recognizing that that dysfunction's there. And if we can clear the dysfunction or get the body to regulate better, things just get better in general. The body improves. So if anyone does have any new babies out there or babies on the way, um, if you are a therapist, uh, treat them. Or if you don't feel confident, take them to someone that can treat them properly and, you know, pray that it's just a little thing. And if it is a big thing, pray that they have the resources to take care of it. Um, the little girl that I'd referenced, I think I've seen her roughly three times now and, um, the torticollis had seemed better. I think her parents noticed it had regressed slightly um, when there was a little more space between some of our appointments. Um, but again, the other good thing for little ones is they don't need long session times. Um, these tissues are fresh. These bodies are fresh. They are willing to change. They are willing to accommodate uh, healthy changes. And you're not dealing with somebody who's 50, 60 years old. They've had multiple car accidents, multiple traumas, surgeries, scar tissues, you name it you're battling much less at that infant stage than you are later in life, which begs the question, if we start, if we get to that child early, where do they end up when they're 60? Because it's got to be in a much better position or place uh, than someone who went untreated at all. And obviously there's different variables in life that can affect your longevity and your health and your well-being later on. But say if we run perfect parallels, perfect, perfectly healthy lives, someone who's dysregulated is going to have many more issues and many more things manifesting throughout their lifetime than someone over here where they were addressed early on, the system was re-regulated, and now the body's back into a, a sense of homeostasis where it's happy. So, um, yeah, just a little a little something there, a little takeaway. Um, now, uh, I will say, kind of, you know, talking about some case studies, um, I have had a, I'll say an influx of, and I'll relate this to men and women, uh, I've had some women come in that we've done uterine specific work or ovarian work and it's helped hip and back pain. Um, it can, um, reduce, I mean, what some may consider like a sciatic symptom. Uh, I'll nitpick sciatica because people will say sciatica, but it's really this and not that, or the pain patterns really over here. And it's not the traditional pain pattern. Um, regardless though, uh, I had a, a, a mother come in who, she had two children after the first one, she had some, some pelvic floor type imbalances and, um, some pain and things like that during intercourse. But after baby a boom, she was great. Like life seemed on the up and up. She felt almost like a miracle overnight. Life was better. Things were doing what they should be. And, um, I forget the distance between the two, but she ended up having a second baby. When that second baby came, it's almost like the first baby, 
uh, I'll think I'll try to put this in like a PT sense, like the, the, the first baby kind of, um, it added to the dysfunction. So it kind of increased some tone, not that she was trying to like strengthen something, but it, it added in a positive way. And when baby, uh, number two came, it almost sent the body over the edge in that state of inhibition kicked in. Well, now if the body doesn't want to regulate because neurologically it feels overwhelmed, other tissues feel like they have to work harder. So what we found with her, and uh, I think it was like, I saw her like twice, I want to say. And um, the first time we had treated her, I looked at her body and she had those eight, those um, uh, 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 writing reflex love it reactor patterns that we look for initially to see if the person's actually regulating. And she wasn't. Shocker, right? So we go about fixing that. And then once that got resolved, we can move into the rest of it. And sometimes the hips will change, the cranium will change position, rotation, tilt, whatever. And we look for the new distortions and where she landed and then went about treating those fixations and getting that pattern to let go. But the one thing that really stood true was when she would lay down, we'd see this big shift in her hips. So then I had to take time. And some people get nervous about doing things that, I mean, uterine work isn't like out here in left field, but I guess most people think like pelvic floor work, like internal sort of a thing, but it's really like, it's not that. And if people understood that it's as simple as it is, um, I think they'd be more open to it. So it does take a minute as a therapist, you have to try to convey these things to your patient. And that's what we did. I took time out of the appointment and said, Hey, this is important. This is what I want you to understand. And of course, as you start to shed light on the person, um, because you're in a sense, kind of reading the tea leaves of their posture, um, they will divulge more information. Not that they were withholding it in the first place. It's just that as you do better investigative work, they will tell you more because you're reading their life pattern. And that's kind of when the conversation came about of like, okay, intercourse was bad, intercourse was better. Um, uh, baby two came, things went awry. Now I've got this hip issue. It just seems unrelenting, da, 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 da. And the short of it was we treat her uterus and then had to do some follow-up soft tissue work and her glutes and stuff. But the minute the uterus let go and that reflex loop calmed down, uh, you could have left the glutes alone if you wanted to. You could just let her walk around, do all that good stuff, and she would have accommodated. Um, but we did that little bit extra, and I mean, within two appointments. Uh, I mean, game changer. And I just think of women that, especially after pregnancy, like being a mother's hard, being a father's hard, if you're dealing with all these extra burdens, so if you're the if you're the father of the home and you're dealing with stewarding your home and managing your home and you're doing a poor job, you're going to have a lot more stress and it's going to ruin the quality of your life and the quality of your relationships. Well, the same goes for mom. If mom's trying to do well and trying to take care of the kiddos in the house and everything like that, but her body's so dysregulated, and sometimes it comes from the birth, right? Because so much is happening, it's hard to pin what caused what and what what's where and everything. So um, it's really, it's vital to try to, whether it just, you know, taking account for yourself and getting things straightened away or acknowledging that, you know, hey, I've had some things happen in my body in my, in, in my lifetime. Um, I need to have that evaluated. But again, I think the conversation isn't just more therapists. I think the conversation is we need to start having conversations with people so that they begin to ask questions and the things that we look at begin to become more mainstream. And it's, um, it's not that we'll always have a perfect answer. And I think that's what a lot of Western medicine looks for. They look for a test and a result. That's not the way our body works. 
Um, the, what I try to uh, tell people about neurosomatic therapy and the therapy in general that they're going to receive is that we're inviting the body to change. And the body loves imitations. It loves an opportunity to respond. What the body really dislikes is being told what to do. And if you think about medications versus, uh, say, maybe a supplement or homeopathy, is you are telling the body to chemically conduct itself a certain way. And think about how you feel when people tell you how to do things a certain way. Uh, you don't feel great about it. And sometimes you maybe do things the wrong way or maybe kick up a little dust um, just because you're, you're having a fit about it. So I really think that if we can begin to change the conversation and just literally through conversations that we have with folks every day, uh, begin to share the knowledge of neurosomatic therapy, um, share the understanding of these natural laws that govern our body, uh, like the writing reflex, like the Levitt reactor, um, and how we have these, you know, kind of primary, secondary, tertiary distortions and things that are affecting the body. Uh, and if they're treated correctly, um, it yields a much greater result, much greater result than throwing something at the body and demanding that it creates a certain response. Um, you're just not, you're not enticing a positive feedback loop. You're again, just kind of, you're making a fuss at the body and the body is going to make a fuss back. Uh, and that was fun, something, fortunately I was able to, um, uh, just kind of stay away from, not necessarily escape from, but, uh, you know, I was advised to take a lot of, um, uh, I believe the one was a cancer drug, uh, autoimmune drugs in general, uh, when I had my Crohn's diagnosis. And I really think about if I would have chosen that path, uh, where I would have ended up compared to not having taken it. Because I, by not taking it, I, I put a gamble on myself, which I was, you know, way oddly okay with doing compared to trusting a doctor, uh, which may seem weird to people. But um, there was a part of me that just kind of pulled me that way. And as I learned this work and gained other knowledge that helped me healing myself, I realized that everything I was doing was having a conversation and a relationship with my body and trying to get us both back to being in good shape instead of if I took plan B would have been drugs, tests, bone marrow issues, blood issues, uh, you know, potential side effects in all sorts of ways. Um, and it's just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's even before getting into neur neurosomatic therapy, I really feel like I had something pushing me, guiding me and like, this isn't the only way. And I feel like a lot of people have that inherent, conversation with themselves and that kind of background noise of like, Hey, this could be better. Like, you know, you're doubting yourself a little bit. And it's really just because they haven't been exposed to knowledge because I talked to many patients that have had a conversation with their doctor and then had a conversation with me and I walk them through things the best I possibly can to try to explain, uh, what their doctor has said. And it's amazing to see the shift in the demeanor of the person and even their belief in them getting well change because now they fully understand what's going to happen to them versus kind of vaguely understanding, just trusting someone who's not themselves to make the best decisions. And, and as a practitioner, it's very hard to make amazing decisions all day long when you're juggling so many different people. Um, so even when I have patients come in for the first time, I'll tell them like, this is a partnership. This is a relationship. You are the one that's accountable for your health and well-being, just as I had to be, and I had to doubt what people were telling me, and I had to doubt what doctors were telling me, and have to go out and educate myself and do a trial, a lot of trial and error. I recommend people wholeheartedly do the same thing. 
even if it's patients of mine that have been patients of mine for a long time, I make mistakes. I can doubt myself. I can, you know, have little mishaps, go out and seek that extra knowledge and try to just, uh, 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 arm yourself with as much as you possibly can before, you know, just kind of going out without a sword, so to speak. So, um, yeah, uh, the, the, uh, 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 back hip issues, uh, knee issues, even one gentleman, um, which he had, and I'll, I'll, I'll relate this. It's, he was on a statin drug, but he did have some prostate issues. So I'll kind of share this too, since he's a bit of a male story. Um, the, uh, statin had caused, I forget the name of it, but it caused some atrophy in one of his, uh, or both of his limbs in one specific muscle. And, um, he, uh, I want to say developed the atrophy after he stopped the drug, but the doctor was aware that, Again, the side effect was there because they're telling the body to do something and it didn't like it. Well, here he come back uh, two years later and he was having a hip issue, pretty significant one. And uh, we started with, because it just happened when he came in, again, you're getting education as a practitioner. Uh, he came in as one of my prostate cases that week or that two-week period. And I had a lot of gentlemen that were coming in with prostate problems that also had hip, low back type issues. And you know, much like there's uh, reflex loops all over the body, that that tension in the pelvic floor uh, pulling on everything. I always like to use the analogy of um, you have a trampoline and you throw a bowling ball in the middle of it. That bowling ball represents tension. The trampoline frame represents your structure. And the trampoline itself represents your pelvic floor and anything soft tissue related. So don't just relate this just to pelvic floor because if your small intestines locked up, it's going to cause back issues. It's going to cause hip issues. If your uterus, if your prostate or your prostate reflexing or uterus reflexing in your bladder um, is causing, you know, excessive urination at night or you have back discomfort and all these sorts of things, these are all variables and they all come back together. And just because you have one doesn't mean you don't have the other or, or just because you have one doesn't mean it's just you're lucky. No, like that shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be waking up three times a night or seven times a night to urinate. And this gentleman, as we, uh, we actually, so to clarify, I didn't do specific like pelvic floor work to clear his prostate. So I actually went after his bladder and this is, uh, you can kind of put this in your toolbox. Um, I will ask men, especially if they do wake up and pee at night, um, uh, I say more than once. Uh, so if you wake up once, like we can make some progress, but if it's more than once, like you got something going on. And most of the time I'll say, you know, 80, 90% of the time, those men, when we check their bladder, um, the urination improves, they're not waking up at night, which changes sleep quality, which then changes REM sleep, how their body's regulating itself, hormones. Now the body's healing better. So again, you can see how we're encouraging these positive feedback loops. Um, but also some of them have prostate markers that their doctors are watching. And some of them are, I'll say studies, case studies in the sense that we've done the work, the urinary stuff has changed, the hip stuff, the back stuff has improved. And now we're actually observing to see does the, the, what we'd consider the visceral to visceral reflex loop between one organ to another organ, if that actually diminishes or decreases the inflammatory markers, or I think the protein markers and the PSA stuff, um, of what's actually happening in the prostate itself. So, um, or say uh, a woman has a C-section, right? Uh, that, that <laughs> never mind the scar tissue everywhere else, but the uterus itself has been cut open and uh, it's in a state of trauma. Like your, your body, just because it deals with something and it fades, People have this idea, and again, this is just a lack of education, that it's better or just improved magically, and it doesn't. 
It's your body, your body made a trade-off and in making that trade-off, it's just trying to keep you moving because it's based in survival, not quality of life. Um, but the minute you go back and you address some of those issues, some of those traumas or those, those dysfunctional states, boy, things just open up. So, you know, if you, if you are a practitioner, um, and I will say, you know, if you're just, uh, you know, listening, you're a patient, you're a friend, whatever sort of a thing, um, there can be some self massage things you can do. Um, you can influence these areas. You can also, oh, I'll say when it comes to like, I'll say bladder, even like trying to treat your own. So as you have structures you need to be mindful of, but also, uh, leverage, you can hurt yourself trying to execute some of this stuff because body mechanic wise, mechanically, you just can't generate the force or the pressure is going to be <clears throat> not where you want it to be, or you're going to end up maybe straining, hurting something else, trying to access the area. Um, but there is also, I'll say more so towards, um, uh, therapist or, or student therapist is, you know, when you're looking at people that have pelvic imbalances or they have hip pain, low back pain, knee pain, visceral components of dysfunction or, uh, uh, ignoring the writing reflex, or even like say order of operations, like getting the body to correct and then reassessing for visceral dysfunction or for soft tissue dysfunction really yields much better results than just going, oh, this person has hip pain. Let me just throw the kitchen sink at their hip and I'm going to get that tilt to go away. I'm going to get that rotation to go away and this, that, and the other, because you can clear that. But if the mechanism isn't communicating, we've now kind of opened ourselves up to a vulnerable position because we're making all these positive changes. But the minute the person stands back up, their body's demanding something else. And it has to try to conform to that, or at least make the body happy in some way. Because again, the body's trying to keep you moving. Uh, it doesn't care about your quality of life, but it does want you to be able to, you know, get out of in front of the moving car if it's trying to hit you sort of a thing. So, um, definitely anyone who's, you know, has patients in those categories or even expecting mothers, you know, try to utilize some of these techniques, uh, some of these ideas and experiment you know, try, uh, it's a, a bit of trial and error. Not everybody's the same. It's not always a cookie cutter kind of treatment, but there is a lot of commonality and some of the things that we go through in life and how our bodies react and some very basic things, um, that folks can do to, um, to help their spouse, help themselves, etc. So, um, I think we'll wrap it up for there today. Uh, this has been great. Uh, I hope everyone enjoys the, uh, audio video, video uh, stuff on YouTube, as well as um, still getting the audio version on uh, uh, the podcast stations and stuff. But um, please, if you have any questions, uh, comments, um, you can email us, uh, you can make comments on the site, etc. cetera, uh, or you can reach out to me personally if you have my number or call the office. And, uh, you know, if you'd like us to talk about something in particular or uh, maybe emphasize, you know, some things that I've come across or seen more in uh, patients, um, feel free, send them in and uh, we'd love to talk about them. So uh, hope y'all are doing well and uh, signing off. This is Casey Smith. Take care.